Welcome to the Andrew Scut Show. My guest today is one David Paris. David is the author of a new book called A COVID Story. Uh, it's his story of his experience with COVID. It is a fascinating one that we, we dive into in this podcast. Uh, he's also an America's Got Talent finalist for Latin and Acrobatic Dancing, uh, which is just bananas. I've never talked to anybody from the show before. I'm not really familiar with the show either. Um, but I know it's a, a big deal, so we talked about that as well, um, and how he actually innovated in dance in his career, which led him to America's Got Talent. So, really interesting guy, great guy, uh, he's an awesome energy, great outlook on life, and it was a, a wonderful conversation, so I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. All right, Mr. David Paris, how are you? I'm feeling great, man. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Absolutely. I Like I was just saying a moment ago, I'm, ex- I'm really excited to hear your story. I know you've been through a lot in the past year um, and then some. So uh, do you want to just quickly introduce yourself? Yeah, you bet. Uh, so I'm a seven-time dance champion, acrobatic dance champion. Uh, I was on America's Got Talent, a finalist, and um, that's one of my lives. My other life is I'm a middle school teacher in Brooklyn for 28 years, uh, taught social or still teaching social emotional learning. And I'm also a writer. So I wrote a bunch of books, adolescent books, um, and then most recently a COVID story about my experience 30 days in a coma and then three months in the hospital and really try to show, I think it's a great testimony to everybody, get vaccinated, please. <laughs> it's like, wow, you don't want this, believe me. Yeah, no, 100%. I um, I really want to dive into the experience you had with, with COVID and um obviously uh, every, everything around that. Um, but can you bring us back to when it first started to unravel? Like, do you remember where you were and all that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this was back in March. So I live in New York City, which is uh, epicenter, I think, of the pandemic in the beginning. And um, I really was welcoming COVID. I said, give it to me. I'll get some time off of work and uh, then I'll have the immunity. I, you know, I really, there was not one part of me that was worried. I'm 40, I was 48 at the time. My brother uh, was recently sick and he was fine after a week. I'm like, ah, and I'll, I'll get it. will be fine. And truthfully, most people have that experience. Uh, I didn't after one week. Um, I was actually in that week. I was sicker than I ever had been in my life. And even getting that sick is not pleasant. Um, but then one morning I got that you know, that next level symptom, which they say, if you can't breathe, then go to the hospital. Otherwise, back then, there was no testing. They said, look, don't go to the hospital because there's nothing we could do for you. You'll actually get likely get COVID if you come here or you should stay home. Um, and a number of people died because of that. They, they stayed home and then they died. And I was this close to being one of those uh, statistics. But my, uh, you know, I had a family friend call me and said, hey, look, uh, you need to go to the hospital. Um, and because I couldn't respond to her because I was too short of breath, I was like, all right, maybe she's right. <laughs> so I got myself to the hospital. I went from short of breath. The moment I walked into the lobby, um, suddenly I couldn't breathe at all. I was like, they're asking me my name. I was like, uh, and within seconds, they they knew the drill. What was a calm uh, lobby, all of a sudden there was like a, a rush, there was an emergency, an uh, oxygen tank came up. And the moment I touched that oxygen tank, I said, oh my God, I didn't realize this, but I haven't been breathing for a week. And suddenly I could breathe with oxygen. It was really quite extraordinary. Um, and they put me in a wheelchair and 
and then my journey started. Yeah. So I think, um, yeah. So the, the moment I got in there, I started to breathe pretty, uh, well with the tubes they gave me. Um, they tested me. They said, yeah, you had COVID. I was like, fantastic. I, I was so excited because, you know, <laughs> I spent a week like not, um, not being, uh, knowing what I had. I actually had a teleconference with the doctors that I didn't have it. Um, and I was like, all right, you know, it's just back then they didn't know anything. Um, and that next five days was pretty blurry. I was pretty weak, couldn't really do something. I was hallucinating a lot. Um, and they said my condition was getting worse. So they intubated me and they intubated me without me knowing that uh, they told me, hey, look, uh, this might be it. But I was so confident. I was like, back then, really nobody, unless you were elderly and, and a comorbidity, you were fine. So I was like, all right, put me on a ventilator. It'll, it'll be a nice relaxation. Wake me up and I'd like some chicken sausage for breakfast, you know? So I, <laughs> I go, really, that's my attitude. And they say, it's funny, the way you go into uh, intubation, into a medical induced coma is the way you come out. And uh, with that confidence, I, I, was, I was really fine. I know that the next night uh, I went from a ventilator to ECMO machine. So ECMO is for people who are really, really sick. Um, if you can get somebody in time, like myself, uh, it takes the work of the heart and the lungs to let your lungs heal. They said um, my lungs were so bad, uh, they were like cement. And um, Whoa. yeah, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Like I've always wanted abs of steel, you know, but instead I got lungs of cement. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> it was like not so great. So it, yeah, it was crazy for somebody who was asking for it. I got it. I got it really bad. So then 30 days later, uh, I woke up, you know. And um, apparently that first two or three nights, uh, I was the sickest person in the whole hospital. Um, they, they told me I, I, my heart stopped four times. They said I, I was done. I was gone. And um, it was weird because being a 48-year-old with a pretty decent dance career, uh, pretty, pretty, my opinion, pretty great life. Um, I was already thinking, you know what? I had a good life. I didn't have kids. I was divorced. Maybe I didn't want you know, maybe, maybe I didn't want to live anymore. But I remember they asked, a lot of people asked me, do you dream or do you have consciousness? Now, I didn't meet God, which is a little upsetting, considering it's pretty close to God. But I do remember that moment where my body, through dreams, realized it was going to go, uh, that I was, I was going uh, to the afterworld. And the way I know that is I suddenly was in a theater, and in the theater was this giant Buddha, and the Buddha um, was clearly a gateway to the next world. And I was telling the Buddha, wait a second, whoa, 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 whoa. Does this mean I'm about to die? And the Buddha didn't respond to me, couldn't, you know, I guess it was like a spirit, but it just painted a white stripe, which indicated um, that I was going to die, that this was it. And that's when I remember very powerfully that um, no, <laughs> no, that, all that stuff I said about not wanting to live, forget about it, man. There are things like when you, it's funny, I don't know if other, other, I think some people experience this level of like, not, um, you know, not wanting to live sometimes when life gets boring or hard or whatever, but it's actually absolutely not true. Or for, at least for me, that when I was faced up with it, then I was just like, oh no, I want to live. There are things I want to do. Um, and the Buddha expressed to me, look, sorry. And I had a fight for hours to get the Buddha to give me permission to say, hey, look, you're going to make it. But he said, you'd have to fight harder than you ever had in life. And that was my last memory of that particular dream. But I do remember wow. that willpower to say, I will do whatever it takes. 
and apparently it took a month <laughs> to go to of constant fighting and there are many dreams of struggling for you know what it seemed like eternity but probably was just hours in dream time um of just hanging on to a boat in water and i know if i released that grip i was gonna be sucked away into the uh, into the other world and just hanging on and that's what my body was doing my dreams were like showing me that so you know in some ways um the experience was definitely physically my body went through something that a year it took a, it took about a year to undo the amount of terror and the amount of struggle uh, in my body to I'm constantly doing a mindfulness uh, work to undo that trauma uh, because it's <laughs> it's kind of weird like you you have that experience you wake up and you don't experience the world the same way like you used to. It's completely different. Like anybody who has a near-death experience will tell you that um, you know you 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 are conscious of that we're here for a fleeting moment, and you live your life completely different, more connected to people, but also scared shitless. <laughs> like you know, where this is like yeah. this this could be it today. And it takes it's an interesting thing because when you work with you know in therapy, I kind of like acknowledge, okay, maybe I'm probably not going to die today. So I shouldn't have that, you know, it's not useful to have that death anxiety, even though my body feels that way. Um, but uh, at the same time, it's somewhat useful to not take uh, for granted this beautiful life we have and live more with the passion of the moment and enjoy the smallest things. Like even in this last second, enjoying just walking through a doorway and being able to open a door and um, just uh, meet somebody new. Um, just earlier it was, it was raining, but it was, it was a pleasant to feel the, you know, to, to have those sensations. And these are all things I took for granted before death. It's very cliche. People say, um, you experience life differently, but when you hit it, I'm telling you, man, it's a whole nother way to live life. Yeah, I, I can't imagine what it's like to go through something like that and, and come out on the other side of it and what kind of new perspective that would give you. I mean, I've I've had one quite intense spiritual uh, experience in my life, and that gave me um, what I imagine is just a small window into maybe the 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 uh, you know totality of what you experienced and, and how powerful that is like i i can't even um it's hard to fathom uh so you you were in a coma for 30 days you said right and in the yeah, hospital for three months yeah and not all the coma was bad like people who been there are a lot of people who describe the experience uh the drugs i was under they do it differently now they don't sedate you as strongly as I was sedated, but the people who were sedated during my time, we had the most, everybody talks about the dreaming, um, that the dream state is out of control. And for me, I, I know some of it was actually good. My dance partner played salsa music, um, which I'm a Latin dancer and acrobatic dancer in, in our performances. So for 24 seven, I was just listening to all the stuff and it absolutely influenced my, my dreams. Like they say like, are you conscious? Yeah, it was incredible, I had a great time. It was like, not all of it great, but a lot of it was just like going to great hotels and going to uh, wonderful shows and, and five-star life. And um, that part of it was incredible. I also had a spiritual moment too that uh, I'll never forget because uh, although I'm a semi-successful uh, performer, um, I've always wanted more and I never... It, general when you get a standing ovation or something like that it's great but it goes away after a day or two and then you're still searching um sure. 
And I know for me, I've lived my whole life that way, no matter what achievement I've had. And there was this moment in this one dream where I realized, oh, I finally have the opportunity. I've been searching. I can finally get to the thing that I've always wanted. And for some reason it appeared, the convertible appeared with a, a hot, hot model woman next to me and said, just get this diamond in the bottom of the world, drive to the top um, and you can get whatever you wanted. But I knew it, finally, even though I've been always searching for it, I'd have to run people over. And I didn't give a shit at that moment. I said, fuck it, I'm getting it. So I took that diamond, I ran people over. I took myself to the top of the world. And finally, after, you know, whatever, decades of searching, I finally achieved happiness. Um, and what happened to me one year later still stays with me every single day is because the moment I brought that diamond and I thought what I had was everything, a spirit showed up, <laughs> an Indian spirit, and and took a massive sword and cut me in half. And I was just like, oh, wow. Um, yeah. And in that cutting of my body, it didn't hurt. But what was showed to me is that this search was empty, that this constant looking um, in the outside for some level of happiness was nothing. And the, in that one instant, I just got it after decades of looking for it in and and many many years studying spiritual practices um i finally got it and at the same time the spirit showed me universes that were like uh infinite amount of universes to my right and when i saw the universes and i saw how insignificant everything i was doing in the context of a bigger global um global uh, multiverse uh, world or existence it became clear to me how shallow everything i i was doing and left quite empty and that message stayed with me you know a, a year later it was it's been sometimes it's very hard uh after coming back to to life um to say what's significant and uh, sometimes it's like wow i want people i want to be connected but then it's just like do i still want that thing that i was doing before like searching for uh, becoming a better school teacher a better writer a better acrobatic dancer um and all that seems shallow um, once I had that experience, but then there's also this great place of being passionate about life and wanting to do something in life. And I really had to reconcile that the destination of what I was looking for is a wonderful thing to be wanting, but to enjoy the process of wanting as opposed to thinking happiness means once you get that once you get that place the happiness can exist in any moment that you have not because you achieve something on the outside but because you experience your connection to values to people to your creative process that's connected to to people that's what connects one to a level of happiness that i honestly never felt before all i, I spent my entire life only seeking achievement without um, with different levels of success and happiness during it, but some, certainly nothing sustaining. And it took a coma with the spirit cutting me in half <laughs> to appreciate <laughs> what life could actually be. Yeah, man, that is, that is a beautiful experience. I, yeah. um, I, I, it, I have a lot of questions, but I guess the one that's coming to mind um, first is you, you mentioned before how you were optimizing your life around achievements and standing ovations and Definitely. you know some some more material things um so to speak what uh and i i think you already touched on it a bit but what would you say you're optimizing your life for now oh uh it's weird it's the same thing <laughs> but <laughs> that's what's a little tricky about it i'm not waiting to get it to be happy 
Um, and I think my pursuits are such, you know, it, I'm not looking to get a same ovation because I need other people to affirm my happiness. It's great, but I'm doing it because I love it as a creative expression and as ability to give something beautiful to an audience. Um, and that level of, I need to be better. Now, part of it is just because being a school teacher is really hard. I'm a middle school teacher, you know, that, that's, that takes a special human being to do that <laughs> in New York, in New York city, mind you. So. <laughs> I can so, imagine. So it's like, you know, for the longest, it's not only achieving something, it also meant if you could make your career just as a performer, it's a way better life uh, than working five days a week. I'd still want to teach a few days, but five days is really hard. Um, so how do I optimize my life now? Uh, it's, well, you know, doing remote teaching is definitely a lot easier. So uh, this last year has been easier, but um, it's whatever is I'm doing is appreciating for what it is and not for what I think it should be or what I want it to be, um, but experiencing the pleasure of what it is in the moment. Yeah, it's, um, you know, we were talking a little bit about, uh, you know, being in New York City versus being in upstate New York. And like, you know, I mentioned having green space and like nature and being, you know, just more uh, openness. And like, um, to me, there's a certain like, stillness in nature Definitely. that seems to me to be conducive to that being in the moment that just appreciating the beauty that's around you appreciating walking through that door you mentioned just a moment ago and i don't mean to suggest that like of, of course you, you can carry that with you anywhere because ultimately that comes from inside more than outside right but like right. um so, something about being in nature just like it exacerbates that for me and it sounds like that's a lot of um what you've taken away, really appreciating the moment that's that's always been there and um, not so much just chasing after things. Cause I mean, we all have this uh, urge to do that, right? To to chase, you know, the shiny objects, to get the dopamine hits, you know, it just, it's, it's how we're wired, right? But um, when we can kind of step back from that, there's, there's a lot of beauty to be seen. So it's, um, it's, that's a beautiful thing, man. Uh, I I want to go back to the hospital for a minute. Yeah. You mentioned that you died three, four times. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, when did, were you? Um, do how do you recall those experiences? Like, do, was did you you know die and then come back to life for the third time? And the doctor told you and like. Or were you like, oh, I guess it happened a third time at that point? <laughs> like, I mean, how, how how did you respond to those experiences? Yeah, I can tell you what the records say. I, I was unconscious, um, but the records say I was shaking uncontrollably all night long. Um, apparently, my heart stopped twice at night and twice in the morning. Um, and there was one particular night that was really bad. Um, you know, my brother said uh, it was on his birthday that this happened. And he said, I always gave him the worst birthday gifts. <laughs> 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 and so uh, this, I could tell you that it wasn't conscious at that moment. And I don't have dreams for remembering that moment, um, but I do have it in my body. Like the body still experiences uh, fear because when you hit, when a disease hits it, it's like, what the hell is this disease? It's an autoimmune disease. So it's like fighting something and it's the fighting that's actually going to make you die. <laughs> you know, it's, it's extra inflammation that, 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 that comes out. So 
my body could respond and I still work through the terror through my body, through mindfulness training. Um, but I don't have words to, to express that or, nor the memory. Yeah, I, I, I understand. I, um, I, I was just curious, like when, when you read that report, like how do, how do you feel about the fact that you just died and came back to life? But that makes sense. You were unconscious for most of it. So did it occur in, in one night and one morning yeah like what one night and one morning and it's weird because when i woke up i actually didn't know how severe things were and for a month of being in the icu afterwards after i woke up uh people kept coming into the room just so thankful that i was alive because they'd seen the nurses and doctors had seen so many people die um that uh, my life was a miracle they they seen very few people make it um and they, um, so I actually was just, you know, to be honest, my experience once I woke up was really pleasant. Like I just got all this love all the time and all my meals, great meals and loving nurses and aides. And I was like, yo, this is much better than my house at home. You know, <laughs> this is like <laughs> that party experience. It's funny. I, I refer, you know, it was hard because when I woke up, my whole body atrophied and so i could move my right arm a little bit and i could move my i could wiggle an inch or two to the left or right but i had nothing left all my muscle was gone um wow. yeah it was it was really weird they you know they say um i wasn't worried which was weird I, in, in retrospect i wonder they give you a lot of drugs right so one mm -hmm. of the drugs they give you is to make sure you don't pull the wires because there's like you know 80 or 90 wires connected to you and so they keep you in some level of uh which is smart because the more i got conscious the more i did start thinking yo i gotta get i gotta get out of here the first <laughs> that was true the first the first five nights I, I was awake, every single night I tried to wiggle out of the bed and the nurse would, uh, the, you know, in my brain, I was in like some, you know, the first night I remember I was in some uh, airplane as a cyborg and we were going to crash and they're trying to kill me. And I just had to get out. And it took me like 30 or 50 minutes to like get to the bottom of the bed. And when I find, I didn't know I couldn't walk, you know, I was in the bed the whole time, but I knew I just had to get out. And uh, the you know the nurse would just always come in, flash lights, and you're in ICU, you're in NYU and ICU, you know, and just try to get reality back. And I always apologize, but the moment I went back to sleep, <laughs> the the next <laughs> the next hallucination came. And uh, after the fifth night, uh, they just called in a um, you know the on call psychiatrist who was just trying to like uh, get me to stop explaining. I was explaining to her the nature of fear and how that like if you just feel your fear, you can you can not have it control you. And I like I saw the look in her eye. I was like, oh fuck, they're gonna drug me now. So I was like, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, look, hey. And they they gave me. A I was just kidding. Yeah, I was just kidding. Like, <laughs> and then the next day, the psychiatrist. Uh, the psychiatrist told me um, they had a whole long thing. And the whole thing, I was like answering all the questions is, you know, during the day wasn't bad, but night, nighttime was really bad. If it wasn't a paranoia, uh, the lonely, you know, they say it's very lonely. Uh, the loneliness is intense beyond anything you can experience. And it's not rational loneliness. It's like a reflection of you being in that state of, um, in your, in, in the coma for so long. And you'll do anything for just the smallest contact with people. 
Um, and you know, some of it's tough because you know, you, you're, you're watching TV and you watch the same commercial 900 times <laughs> and you, you know, the pizza hut commercials and you're like, but I can't eat pizza. <laughs> it's like, it's, yeah. just, you, it won't, it's yeah, like Chinese it, water torture. This dropping oh, the pizza hut commercial true. on your forehead. <laughs> Look, it's not the worst <laughs> thing in the world, but like, it's one of the many, many troubling, difficult uh, experiences. And, you know, I describe it in a book I wrote. Uh, I wrote wrote a book about it called The COVID Story. It's free for anybody who wants. Just email me at davidparisbooks.com. I share all the I share the horror, but I share the funny stories and I share the the uh, shift, really, the conscious shift from experiencing life in a, in a way that I was taking for granted to appreciating everything that life has to offer. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. I uh, will make sure that that link gets in the show notes. People can check that out. Um, one thing you mentioned uh, the humor of things. I can. It's it's very evident to me that you have a, a good sense of humor, and um, so. I'm curious as to how that you feel. <laughs> I'm curious as to how you feel like that uh, affected you throughout the entire situation. Did it help? Did it hurt? Like, what what did that do for you? Well, it's who I am. So, um, you know, uh, I, <laughs> how did it affect me? I, I just always see things through a comic lens. Um, and it's a choice, you know, it's like, um, there was a moment, the first month I was just so happy to be alive. And, uh, I thought to myself, these nurses were giving such great care. If I don't take one of these nurses home, there's really something wrong with me. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I, I say that as an example of where my consciousness was, you know, yeah. like, uh, and, and it didn't occur to me to be upset about the situation. It just occurred to me to be thankful, but I will say when they shifted me to the, you know, when I finally stood, it took me about two or three weeks to stand. They had me stand up and I could barely, barely stand. I, the legs weren't my own. My, it was a rough go, man. And after a month I could walk maybe a few steps and that was it. Um, it never occurred to me to be upset because I was just, I was like stupidly optimistic that things would be fine. And I constantly asked them, hey, look, uh, am I going to get my life back? And they constantly said, we don't know. They couldn't give me any. It's a new disease. We have no idea how this is going to affect you. But I was just naturally confident that it would come back. And I even told my dance partner to get ready for a world tour. And she told me, uh, there's no world to tour right now. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like yeah, right. So. I don't know, everything became a comic lens, but I will say there was a moment probably after the fourth, the fourth or fifth week I woke up and I realized, oh, you know what? This is not going to be, I'm not going to get things back for another, you know, maybe six months, maybe a year. And I got depressed. I got severely depressed. And I was just like, maybe I'm not so lucky. You know, uh, maybe I'm actually unlucky if it, cause why am I sick? My brother was not sick. Um, and I went from a humor, you know, seeing life through a positive humorous lens to suddenly being depressed. And I spent, the more I thought about it, the worse it got. And one week yeah. the doctors actually started worrying about me. They, they called in a psychologist and uh, I was getting therapy every day. Yeah. They were really worried. They're like, who, what happened to him? And really it was just a shift. It was thinking from lucky to unlucky. And what was weird, and I've described this in the book is there's this very famous story of this, uh, 
elder, a Native American elder, who was talking to his grandson, that inside of us, we have two wolves that are always clamoring for our attention. And one wolf is um, negative, seeing things mean, jealous, uh, has a lot of hatred. Um, and the other wolf is uh, has full of gratitude, appreciative, it's very kind. And the elder is talking to his grandson about this. Grandson asks, well, who wins? And the grandfather, the elder says, the one you feed. And uh, I never understood that until that moment. I heard his story a few times, but I was like, oh, it, I've been feeding this negative wolf. And it's not to say, you know, if you don't feel negativity, it's not useful. Sometimes it is useful to say, let me take on what's going on. But um, I took it as a, as a um, reality look of the way life was. And when I saw that I was feeding a wolf that would just get hungry, it's a hungry ghost that could never be filled. You keep feeding it and it starts dominating more of your body. It didn't become useful anymore. It actually made me in a pretty, pretty scary place. Um, and it yeah. was only when I remember that story that things shifted um, that I said, oh, I epistemologically need to step out of a thought pattern that I think is reality. And it's actually just one perspective. And I had to work and I've this last year has been like that constantly working because my default now is fear. My default is pain. My default is suffering. And I actually have to work towards, okay, what does it mean to rewire any of these stories either from if I'm feeling pain, why is that pain there? And what's useful from experiencing it? Or let's move on to what's joyous that I can appreciate, uh, that I can do, what action can I take that's gonna um, create the evidence I need to have a positive outlook. Um, and it was that experience, it was that moment. So, you know, the, the experience was absolutely spiritual. Um, and I don't wish it upon anybody. I don't think you need a near-death experience to have that shift. <laughs> but I try to tell the story as much as I can to offer um, to offer the a path that for for and actually and offer people the book itself is is really a I, I it's not just my story. I tell. Um, Everybody who helped take care of me, I uh, did like 30 something interviews with people so that the voices are a whole community um, and to give thanks to, to how many people, because a lot of people are taking care of uh, people who are sick, but older people, my mother's incapacitated and the type of work that takes um, is thankless to, is to a large degree. But I, in my book, I try to say, no, it might be thankless by, by by how much you get paid for the work. But what's not thankless is the impact you have on these people for every person that made a huge difference to me. I'll, I'll never forget. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Do you remember where you first heard that wolf story? Yeah, I took Native American. I was a religion major in college, and uh, I loved hearing wonderful stories about the nature of the world. Um, and I got that one. I was like, yeah, I don't really get this. <laughs> I don't really, you know. Oh. <laughs> and uh, at Smith College, I, I was a Hampshire College student. I was taking class at Smith, and uh, an amazing teacher taught us all about indigenous culture and and uh, the dances and and, and such. But I missed that one. And I've, and then you'll hear it every now and then. There's a podcast called um, Two Wolves. And uh, it's, mm. a se it's a semi-popular story. But it's like to get it, you have to know that you, you have to have an experience or you have to be, you know, it's funny, like, I, in my book, I say, like, don't, you know, sometimes it's useful, you know, the paranoia that I experienced as a, um, 
as, as I was hallucinating was somewhat useful in some ways because suddenly I didn't trust my thoughts. And the ability to not trust your thoughts in, in a Buddhist sense is useful because you, you, when, you think, when you're just contained by what you think the world is, you're stuck there. Um, but if you can yeah. doubt it and then check them, uh, you offer new possibilities. Yeah, no, it's it's totally true. It's like when you when you explain the wolf story, um, it made me think of like you know uh, you know what you focus on expands, right? Like that 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 idea that you know if if you feed that wolf, that wolf's gonna grow and that wolf's gonna win. Like, um, and it's it, it is a very Buddhist idea, an Eastern philosophy, and it's just um, it's incredibly powerful how that works and. I, um, my wife actually studies uh, positive psychology, which in, oh, is a lot about mindless mindfulness and, and things like that. And um, I'm not going to go more into it because I'll just do it a disservice, but um, very much embodies the idea of, uh, oh, that's what I was about to say. I lost my train of thought there for a second. Um, through that, I heard this idea that emotions have uh, like a survival mechanism aspect right. to them, like where you know, they, you, you go one way and you continue to, you have a tendency to continue to experience that emotion. Just like, you know, you, you, you lost the sense of humor and you got a little more down on yourself yeah, and you just definitely. spiral down that way. Um, but having that humor, I imagine contributed a lot to you spiraling upwards, which, which is why I asked about it. I, I can imagine that served you quite well. Um, may, maybe even in more ways than, uh, than, you know, yeah. but uh, it, it's, it's incredible. So, um, one thing I did want to ask you about the wolves, though, it, it just popped back into my head. I, it's funny, uh, you, you've been saying a lot of very interesting things, and I have all these things I want to ask you, but I can only ask one thing at a time, right? But um, you mentioned that, uh, you know, you can't ignore, you know, the, the, the negative wolf, right? You can't ignore reality, right? So how do you go about focusing on the positive wolf without completely ignoring the fact that the negative one is there, it, you know, and, and continue to acknowledge the, the, the darkest sides of reality while staying optimistic and, and feeding that positive wolf. Yeah, it's, it's somebody who's gone through trauma, they train you sometimes not to go too deeply into um, a traumatic feeling because it'll be too much and you'll get lost in it. But what's interesting is your wife is with mindfulness is very often they'll say, feel the feelings, don't avoid it. Um, and then if you feel it, it's just gonna, you'll feel it, you'll process it and it floats away. Um, so it, each, as somebody, when you experience trauma, you know, even as a school teacher, so I teach social emotional learning, they teach you, uh, if you teach mindfulness, do not teach kids to just experience their feeling because that's super dangerous. You know, if, mm -hmm. if they experience trauma, they're gonna go deeper into it and we don't have the resources for them. Um, so when you experience negativity, um, sometimes it's better to just reroute yourself, especially if it's super heavy. And then other times, um, yeah, just connecting to to the feeling, it can be processed. Uh, you listen to your body. Was it telling you? You you notice the sensation. Um, I'm a nonviolent communication trainer. Uh, that's a uh, system of seeing the world through. Um, uh, universal needs that we all have universal needs and the feelings direct us towards what uh needs are being met or not being met so if i'm feeling uh, angry at my need for uh understanding might not be met my need to be seen uh mm -hmm. shared reality mutuality uh there there are these um uh 
needs that we all have. Uh, if I shout them out, NYC NBC is the organization um, I trained under. And uh, yeah. with that, uh, if you experience an emotion, the emotion is a great pathway to see a need. And once you connect to the need, there's an ability to a self-connection that can then direct you to a positive wolf and choice. But when you don't name it, you know, the phrase name it to tame it. If you don't mm. name that experience, um, it controls you. And if you, yeah. it, and if it's controlling you, you don't have another option. So part of it, I think is naming it. Part of it, I think is experiencing it as an NDC uh, devotee. <laughs> I'm like, feel the feeling, find a need. In the experiencing of the need, you can find a new strategy to get your need met or rethink your situation differently. Um, and then some, as, a, as somebody's experienced something traumatic, I'd say uh, sometimes you just need to go out to nature and just get away from like, you know, I go to the park every day now and, uh, you know, as best as possible, sometimes it's better to avoid that negative wolf. So the negative wolf's a tricky one. Sometimes we embrace it for a little bit to see what it has to teach us. Sometimes it's necessary to um feed the positive one but i'm i'm always you know i always say that because when people say positive wolf i'm super against uh, a simple uh just be positive if people are yeah. like that um it's super super problematic you know um I'm, I'm glad you said that it's funny uh my wife actually told me recently about this idea of toxic positivity which is wow. like all those you know be happy be positive yeah. like just that's <laughs> just it's not how it works. It's it's a lot more than that. Like you 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 can't just. I mean that that kind of is like ignoring the negative wolf, right? Like you're not right. acknowledging. You're just trying to, you know, shove it back under the rug and like go with the positive one. Not a good idea. We just need the tools to transform the negative wolf. You know, yeah. Um, and and in 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 that transformation, NVC is my most useful tool. Uh, mindfulness has been useful um, for me, but. Um, yeah, it, the toxic positivity. I gotta look it up. That's that's something I'm always avoiding. Um, but there is something to just deciding to say, you know what? I'm moving. I'm going this direction. I'm doing it with passion. I'm finding things that motivate me. I'm not focusing on the less thing. So it, it it's a it, it's not a quick formula, and each situation is a little bit different. And I know sometimes I sat in my feelings like that week of depression I had. Um, and even to this day, there are some days I'm like, oh, am I sinking again? Is this useful? Um, and often it's not, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, it, it's interesting you bring that up that, um, you know, you can, you can just decide in that way. And it, it's obviously different than the idea of toxic positivity. I'm glad you made that distinction. Um, but, and you also mentioned earlier that, uh, you, you don't think people need to have a, you know, life and death experience or, or traumatic yeah. experience to be able to to make that shift. Um, and it's interesting. I, I read a theory recently that, um, you know, it basically it said, you know, humans will only truly change and, and like permanently change, not just, you know, clean up their diet for three weeks and, and fall off. Right. Um, but but make a, a true lasting change when the pain of their current circumstances is no longer bearable. Um, I, I'm wondering if you found that to be true or what your thoughts are on that. Because, um, yeah, it's true. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, it, it's true 
I would say most people aren't going to change unless there's a reason to. Um, and when we talk about a reason to, we have to go far beyond the prefrontal cortex, the part of our rational mind that that has this false illusion that we can decide to change, whereas actually it's much of the amygdala and the deeper uh, where it resonates are our deeper feelings that we our prefrontal cortex tells us that we can control, but can't, and, and yeah. actually don't make change. You don't make a huge change until um, something happens on uh, like a near death or something like this, or like they say for addicts, they have to like hit the rock bottom. But I actually don't believe that that's the only way. I, I uh, studied quite a lot on, uh, it is a matter of yeah. you can, without hitting the rock bottom, you can connect to what you want deeper and not rationally, but find ways to do it by feeling it more, work with a coach, work with uh, people. And the thing that I find the most useful for me is community. When you connect to a community, you mm -hmm. know, it's funny, I, I studied dance therapy this last year. I'm getting a degree for teaching dance now. And um, in it, they cool. say the biggest thing for uh, for whether it's trauma or, or any sort of um, uh, cognitive uh, issue is community that when you build a relationship movement wise to other people or in any way uh your life changes and i say that so that um you know we we try to go out of problems in an isolated manner it, one of the things i do as a school as a social emotional learning teacher is i i teach kids to connect to have a, a accountability buddy and just talking about the goals of our individual goals as a community um yes it helps <laughs> to have the accountability but more is the sharing and when you have sharing you have mm -hmm. love you have belonging you have a, a different sense of purpose um and that purpose is going to pull you forward without it's actually sorry pushing you forward without even knowing why suddenly you feel better um, and that's that's a big factor in in potentially not uh, waiting till you hit the bottom. Yes. Yeah. So the answer is yes, you can hit the bottom, but it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, it was an interesting uh, idea the way it was presented. He used this example of um, well, he, he contrasted that you know situation where things are no longer bearable, and I, therefore I have to change with like the diet and and falling off constantly and. And, and trying to willpower your way through things, right? And for those listening, willpower in, in air quotes. Like he, uh, he <laughs> it's funny, he gave this counter example. He goes, if your boss came to you and said, you know, tomorrow your car is gonna be repossessed and your home is, is gonna be repossessed unless you show up to work at 6 a.m. in the office, like starting every day now. Like right. his point was, you're not gonna have to willpower your way into doing that. Like you're just going to do it because it must, it simply must be done. Therefore you will, it, it, you will do it. Like it, it's, it was a very interesting insight I thought, but um, I'm glad you shared uh, the community aspect of it too. And like that sense of accountability in, in addition, I, there's a, uh, I think it's Brene Brown that has a lot of work on the concept of like vulnerability and what being vulnerable does and like for us and, and, you know, it creates relationships and builds this uh, social fabric and, and obviously one more to it than that. But um, I, I think that concept's fascinating. Like by really showing your true colors, you have a opportunity to kind of lift yourself forward and, and, and be a, a greater sense of community, have a greater sense of community rather. Yeah, that when we create environments where we're being our real selves, um, that can be 
just as much as healing is going to a psychologist. <laughs> you know, I, I was just talking to a psychologist recently and he said, um, psychology's changed a lot where they're now don't teach psychologists to just interpret you. They teach you uh, just to be real with them and build a relationship. And that uh, relationship is um, what's going to change things. And I know with, with uh, I don't actually work with my therapist that way, but <laughs> I, do know, I do know that uh, vulnerability that um, Brene Brown talks about um, is just about being real and authentic. And once you can hit that level of connection, that's going to heal the places that didn't feel good. Part of it is because the part of the hurt, I think it was this guy was saying, um, I forget his name. There's this movie out about trauma that said some, sometimes the biggest issue of trauma isn't the trauma, but it's not being able to share it. Um, do you know who uh, like I'm talking about? There's there's a recent film about that. Uh, I don't, but it reminds me of uh, like shame, not not being able to share it out of, out of shame. Or oh, yeah, and that, that's a whole nother level. It's a in some ways that's the biggest hurt um, is lack of expression. So when Brene Brown talks about um, vulnerability and and dance, you're just expressing yourself. You're showing yourself. You're you're a part of things. That's going to be healing. Yeah. So. I'm curious, uh, has there been anything, like obviously a ton of uh, emotional shift, right? And, and mental shift from, from this experience um, in, in the way you walk through that doorway, right? Like it, it's different now than it was before. Definitely. I'm curious if there's any like big physical changes you've had in your life. Like um, <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you call loved ones more or is there something like that that, uh, I don't know. I take take with that <laughs> where, wherever you want to go. I'm curious. Sure, there, there there are hundreds of things I could say there. Uh, one is I did lose a little bit of his finger, um, and oh my gosh, they, yeah. And and the the way I try to describe to people my past year is the pain of my finger falling off, which was like about seven months of slowly withering away due to wow. lack of uh, circulation and is nothing compared to the mental suffering that was associated um, with the, the depression and anxiety, really nothing. Like, yeah, you have throbbing and you know what it is, but when you experience something you don't know what it is, that's far worse. And yeah, it I just did my first acrobatic show, my dance partner, three nights ago, actually, um, and people on Facebook, you awesome. can check it out. Yeah, it was really great. And people were excited because they saw me, you know, I don't post much. And the last they saw me, I was in a, uh, you know, in a gown on the hospital, barely <laughs> able to take a few steps, you know, dancing yeah. like this side to side. But uh, people are pretty uh, excited by that. So physically, uh, I'm back maybe 60, 50% of what I was uh, before beforehand. And, um, you know, I got numbness in my knee in a few spots. Um, but yeah, most of it's back. And then relationship wise, there's a number of things. It's, um, a lot of people experience trauma. They, they, um, one of them included is we're now hypersensitive. And so my tolerance for handling nonsense, uh, in some ways makes it so, uh, I can't actually be with people who are negative or pulling me down or, um, if they are pulling me down, I need to have a conversation about it so we can rework our relationship. And if not, I can't be with them. So there's a whole host of people that I actually, I can't be around. 
the other side of it is super positive. Uh, my heart is opened in a way that um, I may not call people more than I than I did. I, I guess I do a little bit more. Uh, people call me all the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, checking in. Yeah, everyone's always checking in. Uh, but my capacity for love uh, is been is completely different, and um, I don't take it for granted. I I. Um, I see that whatever, and then even if it's a slight, like, you know, I, I, the story I always tell is one day I was just walking down, I was feeling a little down one morning and this jogger, I don't know, you know, maybe he loves jogging, whatever, but he saw me. And in that moment, he was just like, and I saw he's like, hi. And that smile and radiance fixed my whole day, that one moment. And I was just like, I, it, it, it's something I like to do. I like to connect to every single person, even if it's the smallest way. And not only connect, but don't. It doesn't have to be more. It's just uh, that level of, of 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 being a lot connected is enough to film one for a whole day, even if they were suffering. Um, and we make a far bigger impact. Um, in the book, I describe this. I'm a school teacher. I'm a dance performer. I, I've taught around the world you know, thousands, tens of thousands of people, whatever, uh, maybe not 10,000, in the thousands, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Modest man you are. Somewhere in between a thousand and 10,000, I don't know where, but a lot of, you know, I, and and if I may say, you know, I, I've impacted a lot of people and I always, I always enjoy it. But uh, when I woke up from the coma, my first thinking was why was my first thought was, my God, I've been a complete failure. Uh, I'm divorced. Um, I don't have kids. Uh, I'm on the other side of a performing career. Uh, this is a, this is bad. <laughs> you know, this is really bad. And it was I actually for a few weeks couldn't. I was in such a mental shock. I could only talk to my sister, and that was it. I don't want to talk to anybody else. Um, but once I was finally able to connect to people, um, so many people connected and shared their love. You know, like a student of mine I taught in India for like 10 years ago said that what that one lesson I taught him on how to do this move changed his life. And it wasn't so much, it was the energy I gave. And I was, and it was kind of like that jogger who gave me energy with a smile. And yeah. going forward, this last year has been like that. And I hope it's like this for the rest of my life. I can now know I can live in a way that I don't need to do something big to be significant. Just connecting to every person in whatever capacity I can is a huge way of social, it makes a huge difference in the world. And I used to, I used to, part of my ambition to be, uh, you know, that things were never enough is because I have this drive inside to be somebody who, who makes a huge difference in the world. And I still have that drive and I still pushing towards that but I'm not taking for granted all the small ways I give people as already beautiful. And I had to re-go back to every single, you know, being middle school teacher, boy, you don't see, you you only get calls like 10 years later. And I got some of those recently, 10 years later, I said, thank you so much for putting up with me and helping me. I was like, oh yeah, you, you gave me hell, man. But like, uh, <laughs> but, if you, <laughs> but if you go back, uh, I go back and I go, you know, maybe I didn't achieve a level of uh, country or worldwide educator fame, but I can die happy knowing I gave my all to every class every day. And I did um, love and education. Um, and these are values that are important to me. And now I can live, I can die knowing that I gave my all and feeling like I did contribute, which is a huge value for me. That's beautiful, man. It's uh, incredible 
to think about the kind of impact that you have on people like in your everyday life and how it just it doesn't even take something big like that runner passing you just uh, changing your whole day around and maybe changing your whole week or month around like it's you, you never know where that that spiral takes you right but the more Definitely. uh the more positive uh the more you contribute to that positive spiral versus the negative one the more you know the the world is better off overall so like it, it's it's an incredible thing um yeah it's like if we see ourselves in that in in not significant that's a world that you know it doesn't matter like there's no objective saying you're significant you're not significant it's the wolf you feed right so it's just like yeah. why see yourself in things that are not true where you're not significant whereas actually just that jogger made a huge significance on me to this day you know it was more than one day because he opened me up to the possibility of of joy when you're down yeah no 100 percent. i uh it's interesting i think there is a value though in, in looking at it the opposite way and looking at you know uh the the spirit showing you all the galaxies and showing you on, on some level you are very insignificant and there's a there's a uh <laughs> Uh, a relief in that of some sort where, you know, you're, you're not like, you feel less pressure. You, you, it's, right. it's more like, uh, I, I don't know. It kind of plays into the Buddhist idea of um, like letting go and, and, you know, uh, what is it? Pain is the root of all suffering, right? Or suffering. No, no, no. Desire is the root of all suffering. There it is. Um, <laughs> and how, you know, if, if you, uh, can let go a little bit and understand that that is okay. Like you don't need to take life so seriously. Like there is a little bit of a value in that, I think. But I'm Definitely. I'm actually curious. Have you? Because uh, you mentioned some people in your past that you know you may have had a, an interaction with that uh, reached back out and let you know how impactful it was. And I'm sure yeah. you know that made you feel some type of way. Uh, have you thought about reaching, or, or have you reached back out to the teacher? I, sh I should ask, uh, who taught you the the wolf story? Uh, I haven't talked to that person. I should. That's a good idea. I actually never had the thought. Is you know, I have a lot of prop. I have a lot of what do you call it? I, I, I in some ways, I'm not great. Like I'm terrible at cleaning. Uh, people, <laughs> at my my principal wants me to write lesson plans. I'm terrible at writing lesson plans. You're not perfect but, now. Oh, far from it. But I could say the one thing I do well is I appreciate everybody every step of the way. Yeah. And there, there's no there's nobody who's made a difference in my life who doesn't know it all the time. So uh, in, in that way, I never felt like there was it was weird. Like I didn't need to appreciate other people more for everybody's journey is different. My journey was appreciating what I was doing for others. So I didn't put that pressure on myself to be happy that I could be happy just with what I was doing. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I, not everybody can say that, you know, that's, that's cool. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit into your career as a, a performer. Um, yeah. Yeah. Can you share like how you got into acrobatic dance in the first place? Yeah, sure. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I started teaching at Teach for America in 1993, uh, a bunch of, uh, my students, parents, who I sometimes would act up, but I have to call them. The parents only spoke Spanish. So um, when I had the kids translate to the parents what they were doing, suddenly the parents were sort of saying, oh, what bueno, what bueno, bueno. And I was like, oh, they're not translating this correctly. I, uh, <laughs> I need to I need to learn Spanish. This is ridiculous. So uh, summer of 1994, I went down to Guatemala, uh, did an intensive Spanish study, and uh, did all right. And um, 
But I do remember one night I went to the club and just about the most ugly guy in the club was dancing with the hottest women. And he just kept, you know, it was just the most, I've never seen anything like this in my life. And I thought to myself, you know, I grew up in New York, but I had no exposure to Latin dance. Um, and I thought, shit, I got to learn how to do this. So when I came back to New York. I studied under the Mambo King, um, did took classes five, six days a week, went out as much as I could. I, I got to say, man, I wasn't very good, but I did not give up. Um, <laughs> and uh, I begged him. I was like, look, I'll be happy if I can just be part of your student team. And he was just like, no, you're, ju you're just not good enough. Um, so I, I looked other places, found another teacher who was willing to put me on the student team. Uh, very, very excited. And again, I was terrible. But one day he was teaching lifts. And when he taught lifts, I was like, you know, I was a former was a high school football captain and uh, I'm good at moving people. And it's like, oh, you want me to lift somebody? <laughs> and that became my specialty. I was like, oh, yeah, I could do that. So we had all these in the dance company that all these beautiful dancers doing this hot, hot movement. And then I'd come in the middle. I toss his wife up in the air. He, they were fighting. So I said, yeah, 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 you, you do this. Uh, toss her up in the air, flipper, catcher, toss her on my back and walk off stage. And I was getting all the applause. I was like, oh, yeah, I love this stuff. So I eventually uh, went out on my own, did, did my own dance uh, group, studied studied under a number of people, and um, realized I met Zoe, my dance partner. She uh, she taught me. Uh, we work on this one trainer who passed away, Artie Phillips, and we said, you know what? Instead of trying to put the acrobatics in dance, let's put the dance in acrobatics. So now you see a few thousand people in the world do this, but back then you had only a dozen or so of people who just did acrobatics um, as a form of dance, and it was something that for me personally was satisfying, and also uh, the audience uh, would just get mesmerized. And you know, like I remember Zoe once had two sprained ankles, so we changed the whole choreography so she never touched the floor and just like <laughs> spun around you know like we just did amazing stuff man it was just so much fun that's and, crazy uh, yeah yeah it was really great really great wow and then things just kind of took off from there so like what what does it take to be a good acrobatic dancer like i i gotta imagine that you have to be like ruthlessly flexible but at the same time like strong as an ox yeah, like, it helps. It helps to be strong. I, I've learned very well. You know, I always teach people it's technique. And then as my left arm uh, was immobile for seven months and then could barely get my arm over my head. And it was just mm -hmm. in the last month, that I, month and a half, that I was able to lift my partner over the head. But the technique had to be perfect. So mm -hmm. I'd say it is technique, but strength helps if you don't get it perfect, you know. Um, so there are people who are super wiry. If you take a look at the ice skaters, they're not they're not hulking masses. Um, and they're doing all these overhead beautiful lifts. So if you can get your technique right, um, you can uh, do a lot of amazing things. Uh, so what do you need? I'd say first, you need a little bit of strength, uh, but the most thing is you need a good teacher. Um, and mm. people in the beginning, uh, when I started, I just thought I was throwing somebody, but my teacher, Artie Phillips, taught me that there's a dance in acro partner acrobatics. And that dance is each person has a job and a connection, and you don't do the job of somebody else, you do your job. And in, in, in connection with that person, if I take somebody around my neck, I don't throw them around my neck. I present a platform that they can roll around my neck. And e both of us have... Uh, um, 
a job to do. And then if we neither one of us makes a mistake, we, then you can do a little bit more to, to make something work. And that's the dance and beauty, in my opinion, that keeps me, mm. you know, it's one of my strongest mindfulness moments is whenever I'm doing partner work, because I need to be in that moment. And, you know, we talked earlier about the urgency. Yeah, you're urgent when you do this stuff, because you have somebody's life in your hands, you know? Yeah. And you're, you, you can't think about hot dogs, you know? You gotta like, really. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, like, I, can't, I, I can't tell you, anytime my focus goes off in a show, I learned, I've been performing now for 20 something years, but it, I remember in the first set of years, Anytime I'd like notice somebody hot in the audience or be like, oh, it's a bit too, it's, it's, it's a bit, uh, the floor is a little bit shaky. Something goes wrong every single time. And yeah. there, eventually there was a lesson that's like, look, you need to be more present to really do these type of shows. Um, and then, then, I, then I sort of got it. But what do you need to be an acrobatic dancer? Really a good teacher, a little bit of strength um, and a willingness to work with communicating verbally and then also non-verbally. What are your bodies saying as you do this great work? Interesting. Okay, that's that's cool. I I would have guessed that it would have taken more strength than than you're describing, but I it, it I have no, I know nothing help. about it, obviously. So. <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, but I mean, the moment like you said that, things, I looked you know, at your body. I thought to myself, you can do a lot. You know, <laughs> I'm not saying you can do. <laughs> you may not be able to hold somebody over your head for for five minutes, but you can toss somebody over your head and do a cool move uh, for sure. And um, depending on your partner, and and a lot of it is your partner. Your partner has to be fit, um, and also follow a whole set of rules as well. Yeah, interesting. I imagine it's a lot of uh, like swinging and leverage, and and that's understanding right. uh, like the physics of weight and throwing it around. But that's uh, that's wicked cool. Um, so you said uh, you know you you met your partner, started doing uh, you know bringing the the dance to acrobatics as opposed to the other way around. How like from from the time you started doing that with when, when you met your partner, um, how did you end up on America's Got Talent? Yeah, that's crazy. It, yeah, it was pretty crazy. Like uh, the moment we went from a salsa acrobatic couple to an acrobatic couple, we still performed in the salsa dance world, but we went from uh, strong applause to full standing ovations and closing <laughs> the show around you know, and we were like, you know, we have something. Yeah. So it was nineteen, I think nineteen, 19 uh, sorry, two thousand seven. We tried out um, in the second season, and we went to Jacob Javis Center. It's like ten thousand people, and we went to the uh, the 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 assistant to the assistant producer in that first round and we got knocked out <laughs> like doing uh, yeah i know it's amazing right uh, we got knocked out i couldn't believe it because i was just like yo i know our show was great um but they we didn't get beyond that initial round and they kept saying oh we'll call you so every day i called them it's like why aren't you calling me yet and after 90 times every <laughs> three months of calling them i was like oh yeah they're not calling back i think this is like not happening <laughs> and when the show came on i was like oh i guess they told tell that to everybody you know uh, everybody's had yeah. that experience with the girl the girl <laughs> who gives you a number but like you know it's somebody else's number and so anyway yeah. uh, if you had that experience but uh, <laughs> so anyway of course we get, we get better uh, over the course of two years, we start performing every um, every single weekend for for two years, and we got sharper, we got better, but most of all, we got a good story. We got married. Uh, we're divorced now, but we got married, um, and of course, the reality TV is looking for a good story, um, mm. and uh, they took us on. They, it was uh, it's surprising. It's almost the same routine, um, and <laughs> yeah, but it, it the story, and we got a little bit better. I'm not, I'm not sure 
it'd be funny to look back at those tapes. But um, yeah, it was a really great experience. We I knew the show, but I never knew I didn't know there were buzzers, you know. So we're like Manhattan Center and we're like below we're in the green room with like you know a hundred other performers, and all of a sudden we hear buzzers go off. And Zoe looks at me and says, You didn't tell me the buzzers. I was like, I didn't know there were buzzers, you know. <laughs> and if that if that wasn't bad enough, there were thousands of people in the audience booing people. So like the MC would like encourage oh, them, man. Look, you either cheer with your heart or you boo them with everything you got. But let's, as an audience, you just give it to them. And we that were like, ruthless. it's really ruthless. And we had no idea what we were walking into. And I was oh just my like, God. I know, right? So we're, I was, you know, to be honest, I'm always a little nervous before a show. Um, and this one, I was, yeah, you, you can watch on YouTube. If you look at Paradiso Dance, P-A-R-A-D-I-Z-O, dance.com, you see us doing an interview with Nick Cannon right before we go on. And um, you can see I'm relaxed. And there's a part of me that, that was a little worried, but most of me knew we were going to, we, we were going to rock it. Cause the, you know, the, the producer told us, look, bust out your first move in the beginning. You do that. You'll get the audience going. Right. So Zoe starts standing on my uh, forearms. Right. And then I pop her up, I catch her, I bring her down. And the first thing I do is I do a back uh, front walkover over her back. So she's like lifting me over her back. Um, and I'm, I'm 200, I was 240 at the time. Uh, she's a hundred pounds. So the audience just loses it. They give us a standing ovation. 15 seconds into the routine. The <laughs> and I start. can't tell you. Yeah, man, right? And I was just like, all right, let's just not make another mistake and let's nail the end. Um, and that too is funny. My mother was in the audience at the time and she was, I told you earlier, she was mentally struggling. Uh, she's super depressed, uh, could barely walk. She got mm -hmm. so excited right after the crowd stood up. She jumped out of her seat and ran down the aisle saying, that's my son. That's my son. <laughs> and, so, and the security had to tackle her, you know, it was like, this, uh... <laughs> it wasn't the thing I was expecting you to say next. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it was this really, uh, it was it was an extraordinary experience. We we made it through a bunch of rounds, made it to the semifinals. Uh, we unfortunately we saved our best move for the finals, which was a mistake because uh, we didn't get past the semis. We did a average routine, in, in my opinion, and the judges apparently America thought the same thing. But uh, so it was weird because we were saving a trick where we spin Zoe over my head on one finger, you know, and uh, we we thought we could have won it. In retrospect, we were never going to beat the chicken catcher who sung country songs. He's the one that uh went <laughs> he's the one that won that season but uh we did pretty well you know and you know we performed mostly in the latin dance world and our whole community was so proud of us we we went the furthest than anybody um in 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 that competition and you know we i called them up a few months ago the same producer i'm like hey man uh what do you think about the COVID story comeback you know and he said, look, we already got our people for this year, but uh, I'm shooting for next year for one more, one more time. And so, oh, yeah? yeah, man, I'm, I'm, you know, that's the thing. It's like, you know, that's awesome. It, it's cool. And it's the thing, like going back to what we talked about earlier, again, I'm not pinning what's different is I'm not pinning my life uh, happiness. I'm going to be, I can feel it now. I'm happy. Like the moment he said, no, I was like, all right, that's upsetting. And then the training I had, is like, I'm training for my joy. I'm not training to yeah. achieve something, you know? And it's, it's a whole different way to approach life. Yeah. You're not attached to getting back on the show, but if, if it happens, great, but if not, it's cool. Yeah. There are other many forms. Yeah, that's right. I mean, for sure, you know, perform like we, we just, if I may say, we, I'm not 
sorry for tooting my own horn here, but we did just yeah. get a standing ovation two days ago at the at the country dance, Big Apple Country Dance Festival. And that was our first show in two years. I'm not gonna lie, that felt amazing. <laughs> like I for, bet it did. It's still two days later. I'm electrified. I'm like, you know what? <laughs> it feels great. It's like it's worth all that effort. But um yeah, it's weird. I'm still, you know, if I sound like I'm conflicted, it's because I'm still working it. You know, it's still uh, 100% in there. But I could tell you when I was cut in half, my life, it, it's not something I decided. It was something that was done to me and, and that spiritually. And, and I can't, I, I can't, I can't exist in a way that I can only be happy by achieving something. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a endless road, you know, the, the, chasing the pleasure all day it's the hedonic treadmill right they call it like you're just chasing that that hit just it's it's an empty chase and it's beautiful that you've you've had this transformation and that you're you're now seeing life in this new way new new lease on life right like it is let's say it's it's cliche but it's really um it's true it really is like uh it's an opportunity and um you know i think like i'm a big fan of tony robbins uh and and his training he'll he'll teaches you like don't don't wait for the worst moment you can actually connect to the energy you can connect to your place of transformation without the worst happening um and you just have to work at it it doesn't it's not going to come unless you don't work at it and i've had to work at it otherwise i suffer like my default has changed you know so yeah that's incredible so um before we wrap this up, um, I'm curious as to hear what you're most focused on now. You do a lot of different things, yeah. back dancing, <laughs> writing books, teaching. What what is uh, what is the story going through your head right now? What are you what are you working on? What are you looking forward to? Well, the timing is interesting. I just got back to dance, and because I tasted that again, I was like, oh, maybe there's maybe that's that's back in our lives. Like uh, I was just talking to Zoe about like working on a, a, a comedy sketch where we talk about relation. You know, when she's up over my head and 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 she's calling this um, a right hand star, I'm calling this a left hand star, and then <laughs> <laughs> so in, right, it's funny, right? It's like that could be good, yeah. So it's like this couple. So there's that. There's you know at this point, I, I'd say there are thousands of people that do what we do. It's not as uh, novel as it was ten years ago, um, but we still still want to do that for our own joy and our own uh, creative expression. Um, perhaps do it a little differently than we did in the past. Um, I'm doing a goals app uh, for students where they can put in their life goals. Um, and as a community, uh, support each other to get what they want, and then apply that, apply those skills to really for it, it, their whole set of life skills of what it means to um, go after what you want. Um, just finishing up a book, a hundred community building games for kids um, uh, for classrooms for teacher by a teacher, which is myself, because there are like hundreds. There, there's a hundred plus books of books, but I know the ones that actually work in class because I've been doing it for the last, you know. 15 years and I sure. it's weird. I, I've looked other people up on saying, hey, look, do you uh is it out there? And it's just not out there. So I had to do it myself. There are other things too I could talk, but um social emotional learning curriculum with uh kids, teaching nonviolent communication curriculum to kids is really important to me. And um and then there I wrote a bunch of uh, adolescent fiction um coming out then another one really soon and uh, getting it illustrated. Uh, did Laughable Legends Volume One, Volume Two is coming out, and um, 
doing a critical thinking curriculum for me is also super important. You know, spent the last 30 years of middle schoolers, like I, I could tell there's there's a lack of good material. So wherever I see there's a lack uh, and I have a place I can contribute, that's that's where I'm passionately going towards. I love that, man. That's a great way to look at it. Um, it sounds like there's uh, too much to cover in one podcast. Perhaps we'll have to get <laughs> together and do another one. I would love but, that. Um, it's been really great, brother. Awesome. Uh, where can people connect with you? Uh, and then where do you want to send people? I, I make sure we will obviously get the link to your book uh, in the description, but where else do you want people to go? Sure. Uh, DavidParisBooks.com is great. Uh, Paradiso Dance, uh, P-A-R-A-D-I-Z-O dance.com is the company uh, acrobatic dance website you can check out my curriculum for school at uh, social sel uh, lifeskills.com the social emotional learning uh, lifeskills.com and um if you want again uh, book is free uh, anything's free if you want a digital form of it just let me know it's my pleasure to, to to get it out there and um you can find me on facebook and i think i'm involved in some of the other platforms but facebook is the one i check every day Deal. Sweet. David, thanks so much for your time. This has been great. Uh, this is awesome, brother. Thank you so much.